Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, oat prices fell sharply just prior to harvest as it became apparent that the 2022 crop was going to produce large yields. There was good rain in prime growing regions of eastern Saskatchewan and western Manitoba. Jonathan Drager with Left Field Commodities shares what's happening with oat prices. Statistics Canada cut its final canola production estimate by nearly 1 million tonnes compared to the September number. The wheat estimate is also lower. Ken Ball with PI Financial in Winnipeg will have his reaction to those final crop estimates. After the break, Jonathan Drieger. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Jonathan Drieger with Left Field Commodity Research provided the market outlook for the Prairie Oat Growers Association convention that was held recently. And Jonathan, uh, what are we hearing about as far as what's happening with prices? You know, you had the short crop last year and, and just extreme prices to the upside. And of course, as you harvest a larger crop, you know, markets respond accordingly. So we have seen a bit of an increase in prices, you know, we sort of dip from those harvest lows. And so I think they're leveling off here a little bit, but again, you know, kind of off the lows that we saw in harvest and, you know, leveling out, probably trading in a little bit of a range. Still a pretty high price historically, to be quite honest. Maybe it doesn't feel that way when oats are five bucks instead of, you know, 11 last year, whatever it is. But again, from a historical perspective, you know, that's still a pretty decent price for oats. Do you get the sense that producers are hanging on to that product and waiting it out a little bit? Yeah, we do believe that farmers will probably be reasonably tight holders. I I think in the sense that I I don't think they'll chase the market lower. So I I think there's an element that if prices suddenly pull back, I suspect they're probably, you know, farmers will be content to be patient. And so maybe that helps put in a little bit of a floor. But again, you know, I think there is a lot of oats that are sitting on farm just because we had a larger harvest. And so there's a certain point where maybe prices certainly aren't what they were last year, but pretty good historically. And so there'll maybe be steady sellers if the bids are are reasonable. And so that's kind of how we maybe view it here going forward. If you're an oat producer, what are some of the uh, positive factors that may help prices in the coming months? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've been tracking is, you know, I think oats are relatively cheap, say, compared to U.S. values, maybe compared to some other grains, whether it's corn or or feed barley and so forth. And I I think all those things maybe help encourage a little bit more usage. And so is that enough to drive oats, you know, way higher? We we don't think so. But at a minimum, maybe if oats are reasonably competitive compared to maybe other destinations or other grains, maybe that just helps encourage kind of chewing through the stockpile a little bit, uh, helps put a little bit of a floor in and under the market. And if we get a little bit more demand that gets drawn out by oats being competitively priced, uh, maybe it prevents, you know, kind of this big stockpile backing up at the end of the season going into the next harvest. So we'll carry more oats over for sure. The crop is larger, but uh, I don't think there's going to be a big mountain of it or anything like that. And, and so that too is, is uh, helps put a bit of a floor into the market anyway. Now, last year, a lot of corn was imported from the United States for the feedlots and for cattle feeders. Do you see a repeat of that? If that doesn't happen, does that help oats at all? We're going to certainly see a lot of corn come in again this year, but not what we did last year is, is maybe the, the best way to put it. Of course, last year we had this huge deficit of feed grains for barley and feed wheat and, and oats and everything else. And so corn was brought in to, to try and fill that gap. 
there is corn that is coming from the U.S. again this year. It'll be more than what we normally would do, but not as large as last year. So uh, within that, I, you know, I, I think oats is still going to be reasonably competitively priced. It's going to encourage some usage around the margins, but it is one of those factors that maybe then puts a bit of a ceiling as well. If oats goes up too much in price, it gets suddenly priced out of those markets and, and you start crimping off some usage and there's a bit of a, a self-correcting that would take place. So, you know, kind of, again, lends our view to maybe sort of a, a stable market, maybe a little bit of firmness, but can't get too far ahead of itself, then suddenly it prices its, its way out of some of those end uses as well. The United States is the top export market. Could you tell us uh, what other countries come behind, you know, in second and third place? One of the things I think we'll maybe see is is hopefully regaining some market share into Mexico, for example. I mean, of course, you know, we just didn't have the supplies last year, and so we weren't able to export as much there as, as maybe we did the year prior. And so Australia has been filling some of that demand. Maybe we can get some of that market share back into Mexico, maybe into Japan as well, hopefully a couple other Latin American countries. Uh, the U.S. is by far the most important market, but if we have the ability to compete and regain some market share into some of these other destinations, you know, again, it's just one more thing that maybe helps kind of whittle that supply down a little bit. Do you see there being much competition from other oat exporters? Did they have good crops this year? Australia would be the one that we would compete a little bit more directly with in in some of the markets in Asia and and Mexico. It looks like their crop will be not as big as the previous couple of years, but historically still on the larger side. And so we'll certainly still need to compete to regain some of that market share, but they won't be shipping maybe as much as they they have in in the past. Their crop will be down a little bit. So that would be be the primary one. Uh, As we look, say, for example, in, you know, Sweden and and Finland, sometimes we'll compete in export markets. You know, they had fairly average production. The overall feed grain market in Europe is pretty tight. So I think that's keeping some of those oats at home rather than maybe moving into some markets where we'd end up competing with them. So what is the bottom line for farmers who have oats uh, on their farm right now? Uh, What's your message to them? Probably how I would view it is uh, be maybe, I don't know, realistic is the right word in terms of price expectations. You don't think oats are going to be going to, you know, 7 or $8 or, or anything like that. At the same time, we don't think there's a great deal of downside. So probably I would be opportunistic if you've got a local buyer that's offering a reasonable price, maybe in a deferred window, you get a little bit of carry in the market. Probably good opportunities to maybe lighten the load a little bit. Don't think you need to maybe chase the market lower if suddenly the market tapers off. I think if we see a pullback, it should maybe recover. But also, uh, you know, there are a lot of oats around and, and so... Don't maybe be too greedy is maybe the right way to phrase it. Jonathan Drieger is with Left Field Commodity Research. After the break, we'll speak to Ken Ball, a senior commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg, and he will have the latest canola production estimates released by Statistics Canada. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Ken Ball is a senior commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. And we're talking about the Statistics Canada final production estimates. Uh, Canola dropped by nearly 1 million tonnes compared to the September estimate. Uh, Did that number catch you by surprise? I was expecting the crop number myself to go down a shade, uh, you know, maybe two, three hundred thousand tons, but a drop of nine hundred thousand is very significant considering the crop wasn't all that large to start with. So it did catch people off guard. I think I don't think too many people thought canola yields were that that low, but um, you know, this was a surveyed report, so it'll be the number for now. And we've got a very firm day going in canola. It's hard to tell if it's all due to the crop report or not because we've got a lot of gyrations and spreading going on with the collapse in soybean oil. 
and other things going on. But Canola certainly is uh, showing some degree of strength after the report anyway. So what is causing that collapse in soybean oil? Uh, it's been uh, substantial in uh, in some trading days. It's a combination of things. There was, there was a tremendously huge speculative long position that steadily built up in bean oil, and all it needed was a trigger to create a sell-off, and that trigger came with the EPA uh, announcing their projections for uh, biofuel blending requirements, and they were a fair bit lower than expected. Not dramatically lower, but low enough to trigger to sell off. And with the size of the spec long position, once those things get rolling, they just fuel themselves. So that is the end of the bull market in bean oil for now. But the sell-off will get overdone, and it will rebound a bit for sure. But uh, that likely is the end of the, the bull market in bean oil for the time being anyway. Now, getting back to the Statistics Canada report, there was also a significant reduction in the estimate for wheat. A little bit. I mean, the spring wheat never went from 26.1 to 25.7. I think most people thought it would stay the same or even go a little bit higher. This one really surprised me even more than the canola because some of the reports we had for spring wheat yields, especially across the northern half of the prairies, were beyond spectacular. I've got dozens of growers across northern Alberta and northern Saskatchewan who recorded their best overall average spring wheat yields in in their lives. So I was a bit surprised to see that. But again, the yield was probably dragged down by the poor yields in some of the southern and in western parts of Saskatchewan where the the yields weren't that good. But again, I was a little bit surprised. But the difference there isn't huge and it hasn't had any significant impact. It doesn't seem on the wheat markets at all. What about other crops? Was there... Anything of significance there? Well, barley and oats came out very strong, and that's partly also why I was surprised at the spring wheat number, because it, you know, in the same areas where the spring wheat yields seem to be very strong, you know, the barley and oat yields are also spectacular in some areas, and you know, the oat number in particular is big enough that in a small oat market that we have in North America, it is definitely putting some pressure on the oat prices even already. And the barley crop was up a fair bit as well, but we, we certainly were hearing big yields there. But everything else was you know, more or less as expected. Okay, so this was a survey report. Uh, the previous report used satellite technology. So uh, you're in the trade. Uh, what are you thinking? What are you hearing from other people about uh, this whole process? Is it something to evaluate for future years? Or are people starting to form an opinion on the difference between the two processes? Well, it's going to vary from year to year because, you know, obviously, you know, the weather modeling, vegetation analysis, satellite imagery and so on, it seems like they've got it down to a reasonably good system. But uh, you can get such variations in weather from year to year that uh, you can't really tell how well the system will deal with certain fluctuations and changes in the weather, especially over the course of the growing season. So it's still taking everyone a while to get used to this. And uh it is a bit tough to compare a surveyed yield. You know, if we had a surveyed yield in August and, we, and, we, and growers gave a certain yield and then we found out at harvest that everybody was reporting better yields, we'd have a good foundation for expecting the crop number to go up. But we can't make that comparison with this system now. So it's a little bit challenging still for the industry. Is it comparing apples to oranges? Is that a good uh, analogy? Well, not quite, but it's there's not quite 100% confidence in the modeling system. Stats can seems to think they've got it down perfect, but there really is no such thing as a perfect weather satellite analysis system. Uh, everybody else does it, but nobody else relies on it 100% except Stats can. And even with the survey numbers, there's really not 100% accuracy in the number there either. 
No, there never has been. I mean, everything is kind of plus or minus two or three or four percent at all times. Uh, but, you know, they're just the best estimates we can come up with right now. Ken Ball is a senior commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. Here is a look back at some of the top agriculture stories from the week of November 28, 2022. Cereals Canada and the Canadian Grain Commission are telling export customers about the country's successful 2022 wheat crop. A jointly released report said over 90% of red spring wheat graded number one or two and protein content was higher than average. Durham numbers were just a bit lower at 80% grading one and two with protein content also higher than average. In the coming weeks, the report will be shared in person when Canadian delegations travel to more than 15 countries in Asia, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Agriculture groups in Canada are applauding the Liberal government's long-awaited Indo-Pacific strategy and say they're hoping it will deliver on more free trade. The strategy that ministers announced in Vancouver seeks to increase military spending and build closer trade ties with countries in the region. More than $2 billion is promised in the strategy, with $244 million going towards improving trade. Producer groups say this is good news for farmers because it could lead to Canada's striking more free trade deals. Canola Council of Canada President Jim Everson said he thinks the strategy can bolster existing trade deals like the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Everson said he hoped it would also lead to progress in negotiations for an agreement with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. A farm group is reiterating its support for a farmer's right to repair their equipment. Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan President Ian Boxall said farmers own equipment but lack the tools to make rapid repairs when systems are protected behind copyright. He says when farmers own the equipment, they should have the right to repair it in a manner that makes sense to their operation. The House of Commons Act to amend the Copyright Act was introduced in February and passed second reading. A key principle is to enable farmers to access the software and computer programs being used in their equipment. Syngenta Canada said it will not have its Lambda Cyhalothrin containing insecticide Matador available to Western Canadian farmers for 2023, but is working to have it back on shelves for 2024. Matador is approved for use on a variety of crops, including potatoes and canola. However, a label revision from 2021 comes into force in 2023, removing the approval for treated crops to be used as feed. Another company that offers an insecticide product with Lambda Cyhalothrin, Adama Canada, said it is consulting with industry before making the final decision on offering Silencer for 2023. In the meantime, the company company has recalled any existing product in Western Canada. The Saskatchewan government launched a website to show the products from the province are of high quality and sustainable and also meet a higher environmental standard. Speaking at Agribition's Grain Expo, Premier Scott Moe said Saskatchewan has some of the highest quality and sustainably produced food, fuel and fertilizer, and this is a way to share that story. He said producers sequester 12.8 million metric tons of carbon in their land due to zero tillage. The website is sustainablesk.ca.
The partnership between Canadian Western Agribition and Stars Air Ambulance was celebrated during the kickoff of the six-day show. The Agribition logo is now permanently displayed on a helicopter in the Stars fleet after CWA raised a total of $250,000 for the organization over the past eight years. The 2022 Canada's Outstanding Young Farmers were announced at a special event in Saskatoon. Cody Straza and Allison Squires from Wood Mountain in south-central Saskatchewan started an organic farm in 2010. Since then, they have built a seed cleaning plant and practice regenerative agriculture to minimize soil disturbance. The other Outstanding Young Farmers Award went to two brothers from Quebec. Guillaume and Etienne Lassard have a dairy farm with 200 milking cows, as well as raising organic pigs and making maple syrup. And a startup has secured $4 million to develop grain analysis technology. Ground Truth Agriculture said it will provide farmers with lab-quality grain analysis right off their combine in real time and with location precision. CEO Kyle Folk said on his own family's farm during harvest time, there is a great deal of effort that goes into optimizing that year's yield, but the precision wasn't always there. Since beginning operations in January of this year, Ground Truth Ag Team has grown to include 15 employees working out of Regina, Saskatchewan. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.